This is exactly right. My favorite murder. The Zoom edition. <laughs> the Zoom or in lockdown, and I haven't bathed in two to three days edition. What would you say your essence is right now, oh, Georgia? It's like a pizza. pizza yeah. It's a pizza armpit. Sure. Like, but the gnarly pizza that you get it like when you are in student body, uh, you're in student body <laughs> and you, everyone pitches in to order pizza. So, of course, it's like... Trashy kind. How's your stench level? Are you you look you look clean right now? Thank you. I did bathe today. Thanks. I did. Um, when I let it go too long, I I don't bathe myself and I don't do like the dishes. Yeah, yeah. And then I and then I have a realization of like I'm this is this is me putting depression on myself. The last thing. Yeah. I need to so I woke up this morning, took a shower, cleaned the house. Also because the dogs came in. At some point last week when I had stripped the bed um, uh, of everything, even the mattress pad, mm-hmm. and I was just washing everything like the weekly wash, George went in there having been in the backyard with mud on her feet oh. and walked walked across the mattress itself. Georgie. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and now with the cone, it, she can't win right now. And I'm like, oh, I want to be mad at you, but you're already a very yeah. sad individual. But there's just dog prints in like it's clay mud it's not just plain mud it's like the real dense stuff oh do you live uh in an adobe household uh adobe (laughs) adobe (laughs) um yeah so i can't get the i've spent several days doing different cleaning treatments of getting dog prints off the mattress (laughs) and so because of that I've been sleeping on the couch. Then it's like that my room Ooh. is off limits to me. Yeah. So that's off. Yeah. And then I'm just kind of sleeping on the couch and there's like, like when I wake up, I look down and there's like popcorn on the ground. Something, you know what I mean? <laughs> Where it starts to get too much quickly. Cause yeah. Because having, also having animals, it's like it gets out of hand really quickly. That's one thing I never did even in my like deepest, darkest depression is like go to sleep on the couch because I know it. it's like a self-fulfilling <laughs> prophecy. But it'll just be like, it's, it gets darker and darker inside of my mind when I wake up on the couch. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I've been I've been surfing my own couch for like three years. <laughs> you but deserve I mean, a off bed. And on, you deserve a mattress. I deserve a bed, and and I have been putting myself to bed to bed in my new house, but until this uh, debacle happened, really. What I'm saying is, my answer to your question is onions. <laughs> it's just a strong. <laughs> Onion smell. Fun, funion? Because that would be cool. Straight not up, fun. Not even fun. It's not funion at all. No. It's just kind of gross, but I like it in the way that makes me feel like, ooh, the toxins are being released. Maybe that's <laughs> Yeah. Because it really smells toxic. <laughs> Quite. Because you keep fainting when you get a whiff of yourself. I, For real, it's like they're... Oh, wait, did I tell you about the day the UPS man came and I was like, hey, hold on. And then I ran inside and grabbed a bottle of Belvedere that I had. <gasps> Sitting from leftover from that Christmas party. Uh-uh. I, so I have like handles of liquor left over from this Christmas party. No brag. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> um, not drinking it and not interested. I actually tried to get myself like, hey, you could just drink a bottle of champagne right now one night. And I was like, for what? <laughs> yeah. Like, what? What? So you fall down and like split your head open. Yeah. So 
the UPS man was walking away and I was like, hold on one second. And I went and grabbed this bottle of Belvedere and gave it to him. So today he dropped something else off. And when I opened the door to get it, he was like almost to his truck. And then he turned around and he goes, hey, thanks. And he was wearing a bandana like a bandit, like a green bandana <laughs> just across his nose going down in a truck. He was like, I'm not I'm not messing with any of those YouTube videos that show you how to make like a perfectly adorable bandana. I just am putting it on my face. No, just here. Here. Yeah. I'm a ba- I'm a, an old-fashioned Old West um, train robber. That's, that's his look, which yeah. was really cool, actually. Yeah. But he walked back and goes, hey, hey, thanks again for that bottle, man. Ooh, it was good all weekend long with a little orange juice. <laughs> like, he told me about how he's been enjoying it. And I was just like, that's all I want to hear. Yeah. That's just... Please do that. You got to put those bottles of liquor to use. Right. And then I don't drink it. Yeah. Getting your delivery man shit-faced. Yes. Take a break. You're <laughs> worried all the time. You shouldn't have to be worried um, all the time. Uh, this is all the PPAE I can give you. Nice vodka that someone else gave me. Can I say, uh, can I recommend real quick a couple like uh, Instagrams that are making me happy corner? A hundred percent. I was going to say, let's also talk about what we've been watching for TV on TV or movies because yeah. I am quickly running out of options and completely depending on other people on social media talking about I got a couple so of go. those too. So let's do Great. that. Um, let's do it. So the Instagrams that are making me happy is that Charo has an Instagram. <laughs> and fuck, what a delight. That woman's been entertaining me since I was born. Wow. She's been on the TV. I mean, she's like early days, 70s variety yeah. show. She was always there. Coochie, coochie, coochie. Coochie coochie. She is so hilarious. She does this like ha- like how to hand washing video that's just <laughs> pure Charo. And she just like shows you what so- social distancing means. If you don't know who Charo is, just go find her Instagram. It's amazing. And then I sent, so good. I sent you Leslie Jordan's Instagram. Oh, I love him so much. What has he been on? Um, he's like a character actor, right? I believe and don't quote me on this, but I'm almost positive he got popular because he was on Will and Grace. Oh, right. That's right. He was yeah. Megan Mullally's friend on it. I'm not. I am not sh- okay. sure for sure. But somebody, <laughs> somebody retweeted um, him telling a story. It's just him talking to the camera. He's yes. the most hilarious, charming Southern man. He reminds me. He's like a David Sedaris type, but all to himself and like a Southern grandma. It's the most hilarious thing I've ever seen. And I think he's a very popular character. actor. Like, I think aside from Will and Grace or whatever show he got, like he really broke through on. He's just been on a ton of stuff because he's so good. Yeah. So what's the video you saw? Uh, He was telling a story. I can't remember. I think he was cooking something, but he was also telling a story and it turned into like, I sniffed this one thing and then I was dancing all night. I mean, it was was just. (laughs) Yes, he's he's totally uh, candid, just tells you everything. Yeah, that's hilarious. And then also, um, Steve Zahn, another great actor, yes. has what? Yeah, what's Steve Zahn up to? Steve Zahn for realsies is his Instagram that his like teenage daughter <laughs> made from him, and he is like psycho and hilarious and so charming in it. It's and he doesn't know what he's doing. It's so entertaining. Oh my god, I love. He's truly. He's one of the great character actors but just regular actors of all time and yeah. he's in the great film out of sight one yeah. of the best movies ever made i feel like he's in every he's has to, it's like a law that he has to be like the neighbor friend in every movie that you've ever seen pretty much yeah but but and he has huge range yeah. but like i wish he was in you know who he's in i've seen him in a bunch because nora loves the um diary 
Shit. Of a wimpy kid? Yes. God. Diary of a Wimpy Kid movies, okay. which are great movies. Okay. That we're going to go into recommendations. I've watched every <laughs> one of those movies with Nora and I love them. Okay. All, all the children are great, very talented actors. Um, and Steve Zahn is the dad. And normally he plays like, oh, I'm a crazy stoner or yeah. oh, I'm a like hardcore cop or whatever. In this, he's just a dad. He's like, it's like he's perfectly playing a regular dad. He, and it's so good. He's so, yeah, he's very charming and on instagram i recommend it that's it for instagram i'm i'm so proud of him that he's i don't know <laughs> joining the it. the social media craze steve's on for realsies <laughs> <laughs> yeah God bless him that's funny what but tv wise sorry i had this document up Okay, I watched, this is old, it's from 2000, and it's on Amazon Prime. It's called This is Personal, The Hunt for the Yorkshire Ripper. Ooh. And it's the entire story of how long it took to catch the Yorkshire Ripper and how intense it was. And um, the guy, the a British actor um, playing Detective George Oldfield, who was the guy that like headed up the case, and, mm -hmm. and they ran into every... It's such a well done um, docudrama because it it perfectly highlights all of the really intense um, anti sex worker tone, the super intense sexism, just like a bunch of dudes that were kind of like mishandling. Women would go in to say, my daughter was attacked um, on a country lane and it was the and with a hammer, it was this same guy. She recognizes him Ugh. and they'd be like, lady, he yeah. wasn't even near. Like they'd be super dismissive of, of people course. coming in going, I recognize the the it was it's a it's an amazingly documented and actually very for the year 2000 very yeah. modern feeling so long um, ago for how uh, yeah <laughs> 20 years ago oh god i wrote for it down sake. i'm definitely gonna watch that um it's called this is personal okay the for the yorkshire Ripper. on what really on good. netflix it's on uh, Amazon Prime. Okay. Or probably an acorn type of thing. Yeah, and just yeah. to say, the the actor that plays the detective is named Alan Armstrong. And he you've seen him in a million things. He's in every um, British period piece. He's so good as this detective mm. who, like, basically within Don't the tell year. us. Don't like, spoil he it. Oh, ooh, shit. That was a huge spoiler. <laughs> Steven, <laughs> buzz out that entire... <laughs> so Can you buzz it I'll out bleep, of my head? I'll bleep, I'll bleep it all. <laughs> Bleep it for It'll me is be... ruined for me now. <laughs> oh, ruined. Well, you kind of get the idea. He's not so healthy. Got it. Got it. Um, I've Sorry. been watching, speaking of travesties of justice and murder, I've been, there's a new Atlanta Child Murders documentary oh, yeah. on HBO that's so good in that it's infuriating, but it's so far, it's the best one I've seen for sure. Like I've been watching wow. them a lot and it's. To, to talk about the like systematic racism and like, you know, dismissal of an entire race of people in Atlanta because of, you know, the, the times and all of that. It's just it's insane. It's horrible. But it's a really good documentary. If you don't know anything about the Atlanta child murders, or even if you do, I, I highly recommend it. It talks about the kids. I can't wait to lot. watch it. Yeah, it's... um. I saw the preview for it and then there was one night where I was like, oh, I should go watch that. And it was probably in week one oh, yeah. uh, quarantine. And then I went, I can't, no, I can't handle it because I could barely handle at the end of um, Mindhunter when that whole thing turned into those mothers from the Atlanta child murders and those women yeah. and the that parade, that silent parade <sighs> that they did. Like I was 
it was so affecting and it, it's it's so upsetting um and it's just so you know I, I it's feel like, like a, such a deep wrong and it needs to be known more because it's it's just so fucked up and dark Speaking of, oh, can yeah. I also recommend a podcast that I've been listening to on Spotify that if you want a deep dive into what we always talk about, which is um, which is the satanic panic. And this one goes into a deep dive of the satanic panic. This podcast is called Conviction and it's um, okay. season two of, con- of podcast Conviction. And I had to stop it a few times. They like play some of the interview with the ch- with interviews with the children and, oh, and the no, parents no, no, no. who were charged with and, you know, convicted of um, satanic ritual abuse. And it tells you the whole history of how it came about in the United States. And it's really fascinating and Incredible. horrible. So if you want to. Yeah. If you want to get deep, dark and depressing during your quarantine. And we know you do because you're here with us now. <laughs> exactly. Clearly, this is our jam. Swim in oh, our ocean. Well, <laughs> this is not deep. Well, this is different um, than what the this than that. But did you watch the series Orthodox? Uh, sorry, Stephen. Did you watch the series Unorthodox no, on Netflix? But I heard it's great. You have to watch it. Okay. Uh, I'll just say this and I promise I won't spoil. I I had what so I think I watched it a week ago and I had been just binging kind of anything mm-hmm. like whatever came up on that reel I'd be like oh I can't whatever it is the most compelling show it I couldn't stop watching it I had to keep on what was I supposed to do that day oh that was the day I was supposed to bring Katrina the toilet paper remember oh, yeah. I was like <laughs> I'll bring it to you and I was like I'll bring it at two I'll bring it at four I'm gonna bring it later on yeah. because I couldn't stop watching this show it's so well done it's so believable <gasps> and it's about the ultra orthodox Jewish community in Williamsburg and a young woman who's in that community and get and gets out of it okay tries to go and live an independent life and it's so good and the other morning i call my dad and we're talking he goes hey have you seen Un- unorthodox and i was like are you serious <laughs> and we have a full conversation about it um we talk all about it and then at the end of the call uh he said good shabbos at the end <laughs> when we went to say <laughs> oh goodbye my god. <laughs> oh my god jim so it, lo- it was it was you and uh it made me laugh so hard. Anyway, that's amazing. So that's actually an amazingly well done, okay. so realistic kind of. It feels like a documentary a lot of the yeah. time. Yeah, so good. Okay. Well, the other thing, I've been listening to a book. Did I tell? I don't think I did this one because um, I was going to do it as a fucking hooray. But then we've been kind of reading other people's fucking hoorays and um, lately. So I don't think I did this. If, Please tell me if I have. Okay. It's I've been listening to this book on tape called How to Be an Adult in Love no. by David Rico. I don't think Dude, so. this book is so good. And it's not like it's not like um it's not a relationship book and it's not like a dating book or whatever. It's like basically how to like get right within yourself so that you can like so that you can be with people correctly. I love it. it. Is, unbelievably helpful and kind of like very it's not like woo woo and yeah. it's not like dry it's so good and it's a little bit buddhist he he's a buddhist teacher i th- i think but he's also like a, an expert i mean you keep you can tell that he's like a true expert it's amazing well if so i'm gonna listen to any be an adult in love if i'm gonna listen to any religion it's gonna be buddhism and that's about it sorry right so- sorry fellow jews but 
Um, <laughs> but no, you've seen unorthodox. Make make the exception for unorthodox. Yeah. Um, okay. Anyway, if if anyone's looking for something like that, say the man, title that again. Was like a, it's called "How to Be an Adult in Love" by David Rico R I C H O is how I'm assuming it's pronounced. And he also has a couple other um, books that are like uh, similar titled, but it's the it's that one that I really okay. stand behind. Okay. The last one I'll do is, and I told you to watch this, Blow the Man Down, the movie. Oh, yeah. Yes. I watched that. Did you? Did you it like good. it? Yeah. Yeah. Wasn't it good? Yeah. yeah. It's it a, was good. It's a murder mystery set in a small seaside town and it's sister centric. I loved it. I love it. Um, I have to say, I get super stressed when part of the storyline is the crime happened and then people dealing with the fallout. Yeah. I just can't stop thinking it's me. I can't <laughs> stop going, like, feeling like the you're exact in trouble. Like, yeah, like, oh, go to the gas station. Like, it makes me feel like I have to help the TV show yeah. get this problem solved. <laughs> it's insane. <laughs> it sounds like a bad dream when you're like, I did this thing in my dream. And I, um, mm-hmm. it's on Amazon Prime and it's called Blow the Man Down. I really, I loved it. It's definitely suspenseful. It was very entertaining. And I believe Margot Martindale is Ugh. the, the lady. Yes. And there's some amazing actresses in that totally. show that are completely like you, every time they show up, you're like, yes, her. Yeah. Because of all these things I had written down, I don't. Th- Wait, now I can't remember if I told this story. Now tell me if I told the story. <laughs> Did I tell you guys the story of this was like the last thing I did before quarantine started when they called and said my sunglasses were ready at the Mm-mm. at the no. I didn't tell you. Okay, so this was like they had basically said we're going to start a quarantine like tomorrow or whatever. <laughs> and then I got the call that my sunglasses had come in. My prescription sunglasses yeah. had come in at the, <laughs> at the optometrist. So I was like, I'm doing it. I don't care. It was like that Friday. Remember, it was yes. like I think they it got serious on the Friday. Yes. So I drove over there real fast and I went in. I looked like a lunatic, of course. Um, I can't learn the lesson of just put on a, a one layer of makeup when you go out. No, why? But <laughs> Because. Why would you do that? So I go in and I'm like, I don't, I, because sometimes you meet people and have to interact with I them. I know, you're right. So, but this was great because, so I go to pick them up and they always do, you know, it's a wonderful place, full service, whatever. So they always make you sit down and try them on and they refit you with them on your face. They and everything. touch you a lot, but I just wanted to, They did. And I just wanted to like take them like with a pair of tweezers and run out yeah. the door. But I knew they'd make me do the thing. So as I'm standing there, I give my name and they're like, oh yeah, just take a seat and you'll get, get them fitted. And then immediately I have energy feelings from the person that's sitting on the bench behind me but i think it's because i came in a little too hot like i was like you know because i was like i gotta get out of here (laughs) and so i just figured it was judgment feelings and i uh went to walk over to where they were telling me to sit and he leaned forward and goes i'm sorry can i just say and then i was like oh hold on a second uh it's not judgment at all and he introduced himself his name was drew and he just wanted to say he was a listener and you know a fan and whatever super nice i was like thanks so much um you know we had a nice chat i went and sat down the lady put the sunglasses on me she gets them fitted i'm like it's fine that's fine whatever but then she has to get up and go get something so i have to wait even longer yeah so i turn and look at drew and i'm like these are good right and he's like he stands up and then gives me a full once or he's like oh my god yes amazing (laughs) amazing (laughs) so i got full 
full sunglasses approval from Drew. Thank you for being there for me. I needed you <laughs> in those stressful times. It's like just a nice pre-quarantine memory yeah. that I had. One of the last interactions I had face to face with a human being. I love it. I'm so <clears throat> like grateful that my la- one of my last interactions that Thursday was a fucking haircut. Otherwise, <laughs> I would be the shaggy DA. It would just be like a mess. Over here. I had the I realized that I was getting super stressed out about um what if the time comes where I cannot cover these gray roots and mm-hmm. the gray roots thing be- starts to become real and undeniable. Mm-hmm. Um which it isn't. I mean it always is a little bit, but can't tell. I just realized that I can support the um Nigel's beauty supply place, which is right there in um North Hollywood in the best. I mean, like yeah. their staff is the best. They have everything. And I was like, oh, I'll just order a bunch of stuff from them and support them because you know they ship. Yeah. And then I just got like four bottles of my hair dye Hell so yeah. that I I will have it, you know, at least for a little while. And then like it's the same idea of the the restaurant thing where supporting small businesses. Yeah. Um yeah, I think those are all my I mean, I'm I've also like I tried to watch Tom Cruise's The Mummy one night. Um and it wasn't bad. I mean, I got through part of it, but then there's those like it bums me out because movies these days, especially action movies, after a while, it's just a bunch of fighting in blue light. Like, <laughs> yeah. it's just like f- sound effects and fist fighting or swords or whatever mummy like weapon they use. But the lighting is all blue or gray. And they're like so in club like, scenes and stuff. And, and yeah. So you're just like, when's this going to be over? Yeah. How, what are we doing now? Um, <laughs> it's funny. It's like, I, I think I'm like pickier and then not that picky at all. Do you know what Vince? That I just. Vince found out I had never seen this movie, and so he lost it, and he's like, we're watching this. Uh, Roadhouse? I had never seen it. Did you see his tweet? I saw his tweet. (laughs) I saw his tweet, and I wanted to write back, please live tweet this entire experience. (laughs) It was fun. What'd you think? There was a lot of fighting, which I'm not a bit like, I don't like fighting in movies, but, you know, it's fake, but it's Patrick fucking Swayze. What could the be fighting bad? is the is the basically the theme of the film. Yeah, I mean you can't yeah. you can't have Roadhouse <laughs> without the fighting. Sorry, yeah, I want that edited out. It's a three minute movie, just of sex, <laughs> sex and tits of him doing fung, uh, him doing tai oh, yeah. chi, yeah, on his lawn. You know, he's a fighter, but he's also much like David Rico, a Buddhist. Well, men <laughs> said it's like people have said it's the it's dirty dancing for men essentially. Yes, Which it completely it is. is. Yeah, and that woman Kelly, Kelly, the woman that he's the uh-huh. doctor that he's in love with, who is like, she's a doctor and she's she is sh- built like a a supermodel. Yeah, like she's clearly six feet tall and weighs eighty nine pounds. Yeah, and every time I watch that movie, I'm just like, this is why the eighties were so hard, right? Because you were supposed to be a basically a Danish high fashion model right and, and a doctor and a doctor plus a doctor right yeah and, and you're, then, you're not also, supposed to kiss on the first date and you're supposed to be you know you're supposed to steal patrick swayze's heart and shit yeah I mean, a lot of rules a lot of regulations <laughs> what's a girl to do it was not easy yeah. she had that woman had there was no beat on her bones at all yeah. but other than that there is it's a wonderful film. <laughs> it's a wonderful, yeah. It's a classic. Beautiful. It's a classic, and there's some 
amazing like the idea that that guy the kingpin that runs the town Mm -hmm. jackie treehorn is that jackie tree that's right (laughs) and he's he's basically going to he's going to he needs doormen yeah to run his empire (laughs) in this town in this tiny town outside of nashville something like that was it nashville i always pictured it in Kind of up uh, by Sacramento. <laughs> well, it probably was filmed there. To me. <laughs> um, it felt very homish to me. Huh. That's a classic. Yeah. Now I want to know what other movies you haven't seen from the 80s. I'll tell you right now. Ready? No. I yeah, list them off. <laughs> Have you seen Weird Science? Of course, yes. Oh, okay. It's been a long time. UHF. Classic. That's a good one. Have you seen Better Better Off Dead? Yes. John Cusack's ski- skiing film. Yes. I like to call it John Cusack's skiing film. <laughs> more. Ask me more. Oh. <laughs> I feel like there was just these like dude films back then that like if we went to the video store, my brother would want to watch them and then my sister and I would outvote him. So I like I, n- I never watched Roadhouse or Top Gun I've seen, but like it's been a long time and I think it's boring, you know. Yeah. Stuff like that. Brother, yeah, you brother guys- movies. Because you guys were going more for Dirty well, Dancing. Let's see. Dirty Dan. Oh, that's right. Dirt the Dirty Dancing era. Dirty Dancing. Of girl films. The Adventures of Natty Gann. Many times <laughs> we watched. Oh, wait, sure. Wait. Yeah. You know. Oh, uh, my stepmother is an alien. Remember that one? <laughs> no. <laughs> Who's in it? Kim Basinger is an alien <laughs> and becomes the stepmom of that redheaded chick. Who's in American Pie and everything else? Allison somebody. Yes. Allison somebody? Yes. Allison Hannigan. Thank you, Stephen. I'm losing my edge. All right. Thank you, Stephen. It's terrible. Should we do um <laughs> should we do exactly Some right? Network news. Network news. Yes. Yeah. So Murder Squad, of course, Billy and Paul, they're uh they're diving deep into the case of the dating game killer, Rodney Alcala. Who you've covered yeah. before, but this one is, I mean, they're, they're doing a deep dive. It's really good. Right. And they're, and then this lot, their episode dropped yesterday and they're, um, interviewing the detective from the NYPD that, um, basically started putting the, putting it together that, yeah, of the women in the pictures, um, being able to trace them. Yeah. And yeah, they, it's a really good, a really good deep dive. So that came out this um, week, Monday. Um, did you know y- yesterday? That, but it's oh no sorry i keep saying that yeah that um, was monday did you know that i made a guest appearance on the new episode of this podcast will kill you i did i did i saw that on social media today <gasps> they how'd that go great i think great <laughs> i don't know <laughs> they are covering uh botulism basically what is it colostridium clostridium botulinium so botulism, which is basically what Botox is, and they wanted someone's firsthand experience of what Botox is look like to get. So I told them, but then they also, you know, go into the details of what exactly it is. It's really interesting. And then la- they are still doing their big COVID-19 multi-episode um, dive. So those are up. They just wanted to take a little break and do something a little more fun. Than I bet. More yeah, because they've been... 
Yeah, they've been they've been working on coronavirus since it broke. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they've been you can go back and listen to all those episodes and then have some botulism fun with Georgia. Yay. This week. <laughs> also, it's the 50th anniversary of the Aristocats. So, Stephen, <laughs> Stephen <laughs> on the Percast, that's what their episode is about this week. Yeah, we did like an actual movie commentary. We yeah. sat and watched the film. And we brought up, you know, facts and looked like looked up stuff about the movie. And it's actually based on a true story, apparently, about some rich cats from the turn of the century. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) It's based on a true story. Okay, Steven. I mean, I don't supposedly, know. Supposedly. I don't know. It's based on a true story of cats that could play the piano yes. for themselves. <clears throat> it's funny seeing the, because, you know, somebody did the Lizzo. Did, yes. uh, did And uh, like, so I, all I could hear was was uh, Truth Hurts uh, yes. instead of the original song. <laughs> oh, my God. I love it. And Zsa, Zsa Gabor is the main cat, right? Uh, the main, like, the lady that talks uh, Ava like Gabor. This? Ava Gabor, sorry. One of the, uh, the other sister. That's right. There are many talented Gabor sisters. Sure. <laughs> um, okay. The the Fallen started a new two part series of an unsolved murder, and they uh, introduced the case and explain the Atlanta lore that overshadowed the death. So that's a really interesting one to follow along with. Yeah, the Fall Line people who live in the Atlanta area, or like I would say probably Georgia, it's so cool that they just focus on these like cold cases and unsolved cases yeah. from the area. Yeah, it's really. It's really important. Definitely. I always say that about them, but it really is how I feel. <laughs> and then uh, an amazing comedian who has an amazing podcast itself, Louis Vertel, Um, his podcast is called Keep It. And uh, so he's on this week's episode of I Said No Gifts with uh, Bridger Weininger. Um, that comes out today. Same same as this. So listen to that either before this or after. I can't control what you did before this, but (laughs) if you didn't already, do it after. Because Louis Vertel is hilarious, and if you don't follow him on Twitter and you're on Twitter, you absolutely should. He's He writes some of my very favorite jokes ever. He's so good. I love it. So funny. Yeah. And then we are freaking days away from the premiere of our newest Exactly Right podcast, Bananas. Um, The weird news news podcast that I think everybody needs right now. Yes. your alternative to CNN and all the rest of it. Um, you, everybody, all those weird news stories that are so great about a horse that makes friends with a town sheriff and they solve a crime or whatever. <laughs> like you don't get to hear about any of that anymore because it's a global meltdown. So bananas, uh, with, <laughs> Uh, Kurt Bronner and Scotty Landis, they're going to change all that. That's right. It's going to be on every Tuesday. Please subscribe to it wherever you listen to podcasts because it really helps um, get exposure for them. And we want to expo- yeah. we want to expose to ourselves to you. It's it's time to expose them and us. That's right. To so you. Tuesday, April 21st is when that premieres. And yeah, we can't wait. We can't wait. Bananas. We've waited so long. We have. Yeah. There's something about the sound of an old-timey cash register that really takes me back. I know. It sounds like someone is about to hand me an ice cream cone, but it also sounds like we just sold some merch. That's right. And if you're a Shopify user like us, you know that this sound means you just made a sale. Shopify has helped millions of businesses sell their products online, but did you know they also offer the same support for brick and mortar stores? From accepting payments to managing inventory, they have everything you need to sell in person. So give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. 
Shopify POS tracks sales across all your locations. That way you'll always know what you have in stock and where. They also provide reliable tech that fits your unique retail needs, like turning a tablet into a credit card reader. And if you're looking to reach new customers, check out Shopify's marketing tools. They're easy to use and they integrate with all social media platforms. With Shopify, we have a powerful partner for managing our sales. And if you're a business owner, you can too. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period today at shopify.com murder. And here's the important note, that promo code is all lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash murder and take your retail business to the next level. That's shopify.com slash murder. Again, don't forget the code is all lowercase. Goodbye. If you're like me, you're always looking for a story to dive into. Whether it's a family drama or a mystery to solve, the key to getting hooked is the details. I need rich visuals and intricate storylines, and June's Journey has that and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young woman, on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murder. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. Explore beautifully designed scenes from the 1920s, like lavish estates and gardens, and don't forget to keep an eye out for hidden clues. There are twists, turns, and catchy tunes, all leading you deeper into the thrilling storyline. And if you play well enough, you could make it to the detective club. There, you'll chat with other players and compete with or against them. June needs your help, but watch out, you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed, but will you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Goodbye. You're first this week, right, Stephen? No, you're first because <laughs> no, you are. Last week, yeah. last week was Lake Lanier and and Jet. Uh, Awesome. And Jet Lyles from Atlanta, 2018. That's How'd right. that hold up, Stephen? <laughs> Two years ago. <laughs> oh, so fun. Spooky crazy. and uh, crazy. I mean, I definitely remember being there, and I remember the feeling uh, of being at on stage at that show. Uh, all right. Well, I'm first then. Okay, this is a case from Italy, uh, from northern Italy, and it's one of their big cases that was like you know really well known and it became what they coined a genetic soap opera so like i think dna heads are really into this case because it's it's got some fascinating dna elements so Mm. stick with me this is the murder of yara gambarasio so I got um, a couple great articles from the guardian by tobias jones and another one by rosie scammell And there's also a case file episode about this and Reddit and Wikipedia as well. I'm going to tell you about Brembat di Sopra. It's a small picturesque town in northern Italy. It's about an hour away from Milan. Have you been to Italy? No. Always want to. Yeah. Always. I mean, always wanted to. Something's wrong. Something's wrong with me. <laughs> it's like the sun is blaring right in your face, I feel like. I know. Hold on. So it's a it's close to the Swiss and Austrian border. So it's, of course, beautiful. It makes it a really popular town for tourists. It's But the people who live there, it's a quiet, close-knit community. It's a little rural. A lot of, rural. A lot of the homes still use wood-burning <laughs> stoves, and they raise chickens. They grow their own vegetables. Um, and there's a lot of history with... It's got, like, ancient villas, you know, the old, beautiful steeples on the churches there's only around eight thousand residents and um it's got like some deep rooted old school family values you know one of those old school italian places 
like a village. Yeah, like a village. And and it's considered safe. And so families go to raise children there. And, you know, it's a nice little place. So um, it was on a chilly winter afternoon on November 26, 2010, when 13-year-old Yara Gambarasio, uh she left her family's home, walks over to the sports center where she practices gymnastics in order to drop off a stereo, her instructor needed for an upcoming performance. She stops by, she hangs out, she drops off the stereo and then takes uh, takes off to go home. It's a quick walk. Yara is 13 years old. She still has this like baby face, but she's starting to look like a teenager, you know, that like little preteen look. And she has a mouth full of braces, really big smile. She's got the dark curly hair. Uh, and her father, Fluvio, is an architect. Her mother, Mara, is a teacher. And Yara is the second oldest of four children. When she left the house, she was wearing leggings, a Hello Kitty t-shirt, and a, block, a black bomber-style jacket. She makes the quick trek to the sports center. It's less than half a mile from her house. And she then uh, leaves, sends a quick text to her friend about meeting up that weekend. And then that's the last contact anyone has with Yara. So her mother didn't expect her to be gone. So by 7 p.m., she's already worried and she calls Yara's cell, but it goes straight to voicemail 20 minutes later. Like this is how how off it was that she was gone for even a, a short while longer than should have. She should have been 20 minutes later. Later, Yara's father calls the police. It's like my oh, daughter's wow. missing. Yeah. The call is taken by the magistrate, which is like a district attorney. And it's she's a 45 year old woman named uh, Letizia Ruggeri. I'm probably saying that wrong. Please excuse I me. I bet you're going to have that feeling about every single right. name. This is an Italian crime. Jerry. So like there's it's a losing proposition. Let her fly. <laughs> we'll hear about it. I'm going to guess it's Ruggeri. How about you say it with your fingers up in the air? Ruggeri. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> okay, so Letizia Ruggeri is a 45-year-old former policewoman, and she's known to be smart and tough. She got a great reputation when she was fighting the Costa Nosta in Sicily as a policewoman. Gee, yeah. Jesus. No joke. <laughs> she's fighting the original mafia. Yeah. She's like, Hi. what's up? What's up? She's an unconventional woman for that for the area she lives in now. She's a single mother, which is rare in that culture. She has five earrings in one ear and plays the guitar and ri rides a beat up old Vespa, which sounds amazing. And she also has a black belt in karate. So this this is a Netflix series. It's like it already is. I feel like I've already watched it. OK, yeah. She's been yeah. a magistrate for almost 15 years. So she knows what's going on when she gets this call. She doesn't fuck around. And she um, she within minutes, she dispatches both the state police officers and the the carabinier, which is the military police. So immediately they send them out. And uh, they go to the small town. They start the search. The fire department starts scanning the riverbeds. Police are looking at nearby fields. They check the entire sports center where she was at, but uh, they don't find anything. And unfortunately, the surveillance cameras at the sports center that day were all out of order, yeah. which is just like a really awful coincidence. And uh, Ruggeri calls in tracker dogs and they follow Yara sent to a small hamlet nearby called Mapello. And soon they discovered that the last signals from Yara's cell phone pinged in Mapello at 6.49 p.m. that night. So the dogs, they thought the dogs would follow her track back to her house. And so they like went the other way to this 
random town next door and where her phone had uh, pinged that night. So it it pinged just minutes after she texted her friend after leaving the sports center. So they figured that she had to be in a car to have been moving that quickly and gone from town to town. So someone probably picked her up in a car. Um, And over the next few days, Rogeri and her team question every member of Yara's family. Of course, they look for problem signs and, you know, hidden secrets in the family. They don't find anything. So then the investigators focus their um, they focus their time tracing the owners of all the cell phones, which had passed through Mapello on the day of Yara's disappearance, which I guess is a technology they have. Mm. Um, And it's approximately 15,000 cell phones that had gone through the town that day. So they also put wiretaps on hundreds of phones, and it's a record for any investigation in Italy's history. Tens of million calls are intercepted by law enforcement, and police also bug the family's home to track conversations, but they don't find anything. And meanwhile, Yara's family locks themselves into their home. They're really secretive, and Italian TV is dominated by, uh, it's called Cronash Nere, which is crime news. Like, they're more obsessed with it than we are in a lot of instances, and so now the national uh, news cameras descend on this small town and on this little street where Yara's family lived. So uh, they plead for privacy, but the case blows up around the country. And there's rumors that Yara's disappearance is a retaliation abduction because the media reports that Yara's father had testified against a mafia member in Naples. But eventually those rumors are shot down. So none of it's true. So on the afternoon of February 26th, 2011, three months after Yara's disappearance, a middle-aged man is flying his new remote air, like little airplane um, in the town of Chignolo di Isola, just six miles south of Yara's home. Uh, he's in an open field. It's all industrial and empty lots. So he's like, this is a great place to fly my little remote plane. The plane malfunctions. He lands it in some tall weeds. You know where this is going. Um, he goes to pick up the plane and sees something that looks like a pile of rags. And then he spots a pair of shoes and the clothing are, are all still on Yara's body. Uh, I know. Her body. Also, if that if that were in a TV show, I'd be like, that's so in, cheesy. Po- yeah, it seems real. one in a million chances. Maybe less than yes. that. But yeah. So unlikely and yet. That's, happened. That's how it is. I mean, get yeah. ready for the rest of this fucking story because it's the most unlike. Okay. It's it's like a fucking movie. It's crazy. Her body's frozen, but it you know she does so, show signs of decomposition. So she's been there for a while. But they say the field had already been searched days after her disappearance. So police speculate that the killer dumped her body there. You know later, but it, it doesn't really seem that way. They just might have missed it. You know, even by a couple feet, they could have just not seen it. So it's that's possible yeah. as well. Crime scene investigators find Yara's iPod and house keys with her, as well as the SIM card and battery for her phone. But the phone itself is missing. So the killer knew to, you know, to stop the tracing of it and left those things behind, which is, you know, so, so cunning, it seems. Uh, the autopsy is conducted by Italy's most famous forensic pathologist, Professor Cristina Catano. And she discovers traces of lime in Yara's respiratory passages and the presence of what's called jute, which is a vegetable fiber that's used to make rope. And they find that on her clothing. Yara hadn't been raped, um, but there's signs that there was an attempted sexual assault and maybe she had fought back. And um, there's blows on her body, a head injury, neck injury, and at least six stab wounds are found. Uh, but it's determined she didn't die from 
that any of that uh, awfulness. She died from exposure to the cold weather after she lost consciousness from her injuries. Oh. I know it's heartbreaking. You just think of this 13 year old girl. When you described what she was wearing, a Hello Kitty t-shirt yeah. and a leather jacket, that's like, that's pre-teens in a nutshell where totally. you're, you know, they're in between two worlds. So it's like, yeah, you're, you're old enough to walk there by yourself, right. but you're still young enough that you are wearing a Hello Kitty shirt and that you, you know, could someone could convince you to do something you absolutely shouldn't do. Totally. Maybe. You see someone I'm, maybe kind of familiar and so... You, it's, they're not a stranger. And she had her iPod with her. You know, it's just like such a, yeah, she was a young, a young teen. It was like one of the first, probably like, this is, she gets to do stuff like this. Yeah. Now. She's, you know, she's 13. I get to walk there by myself. She probably fought hard to be able to have a little independence like that. Right. And it's just Ugh. down the road. Her parents probably weren't that worried about it. It's, it's so sad. Right. The presence of the lime and the rope fiber suggests to the investigators that the killer might be in the building and construction trade. And the forensic team retrieves two DNA samples um, from Yara's phone battery and from her black gloves, but neither match any samples the authorities have on record. So they can't find who this DNA is from. Two months later in April, uh, the commander of the scientific investigations department in Parma calls Rogeri and tells her they found male DNA on Yara's underwear. And so they, the team then uh, calls the murder suspect. They have like a really good DNA sample and they start to call the suspect Ignato one, which means unknown one. Just mm. so creepy. A month later, Yara's body is returned to her family. Um, her funeral takes place on a May morning in the sports center where she was training to be a gymnast. There's thousands of onlookers there. It's a white coffin with a huge bouquet of flowers. And um, the Italian president is there, gives a few words of condolence. And there's so many people, they can't all fit inside the sports center. And they watch it out the funeral outside on a jumbo screen in the parking lot. Ugh. So people were Ugh. just heartbroken over this. You know, I, don't, I think it's one of those stuff like that doesn't happen here. So yep. uh, after the funeral, the police announced that they have a solid DNA evidence and they'll spare no expense looking for the killer. And so the investigation is like in high gear. They continue to wiretap calls. They ask people to voluntarily submit DNA samples and friends and classmates and, you know, strangers come forward to give their DNA. And it's believed that 22,000 people from the area volunteered their DNA. Wow. And also each phone user that's found important that day, you know how they had traced all the phones that were in that area. Um, they test their DNA samples as well, but they don't get any hits. The cost to test all this DNA is huge. Um, and the investigation becomes one of the most expensive manhunts in Italian history. According to some sources, um, the equivalent of what in today's money would be almost $5 million. Wow. Was spent for the entire investigation. So then Rogerio has this idea to um, to turn her sights on to um, like places in the area where Yara's body was found, thinking that the killer would have been familiar with it. And so right down the street from there is a nightclub and uh, it's the translation of what it's called is quicksand. And so um, in 2001, in the spring, Rogeria signs investigators outside quicksand on busy Friday and Saturday nights to take DNA samples from people going into the club. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so this fucking thing works. And they get a break in the case from quicksand. One of the samples from quicksand is very similar to 
what's being called the unknown one, though it's not exact. So this man isn't the killer, but he's a relative of the killer. He, uh, the man who gave the samples, 20-year-old Damiano Gerinoni, but he's excluded as a suspect. It's not his DNA. He's got a legit alibi, but geneticists are convinced he's a close relative of the murderer. So in a crazy coincidence, Damiano's mother worked for 10 years as domestic help at Yara's home, but that's ruled out as a lead. That's just a fucking coincidence. Um, Instead, they dig deeper into Damiano's father's side of the family, and they find out that his father is one of 11 siblings. So Rogerio's team spends months recreating the Gerinoni family tree. They go as far back as 1716. So this is like, I know, this is that familiar DNA thing that we're now so familiar with. They're able to clear 10 aunts and uncles of Damiano's 11 aunts and uncles, but one uncle they're not able to clear, and that is Uncle Giuseppe. Um, So they're like, oh, this might be our guy. Turns out he died in 1999, so it couldn't have been him. Okay. Because this is 2010. But um, they get in touch with Uncle Giuseppe's widow, and she's like, here's a box of Giuseppe's old documents. I had kept them. You can fucking do what you will with them. And in there, (laughs) they find a postcard with a stamp that Giuseppe had licked. So they test that DNA. And the results on that come back. And geneticists are convinced that Giuseppe is the biological father of the murderer. Giuseppe was a bus driver in the 60s and 70s. He had married a woman named Laura. They had a normal marriage. They had three children, a girl and two boys. Um, and they exhume, exhume Giuseppe's body. They test his DNA. They confirm that he is definitely the father of the murderer. So they're like, great. It's got to be one of his two sons. One hmm. of his sons happens to be a known drug user. They're like, here we go. But when they test Giuseppe's children's DNA, none of them are the killer. They don't match any of his children. That's when they realize that if uh, the murderer is really the son of the late Giuseppe, then the only explanation is somewhere out there is his illegitimate child. Oh, right. Yeah. The plot yes. thickens. So yeah. n- now Ruggieri is on the hunt for what would have have now been a middle to old aged woman who 30 or 40 years ago would have had an affair with a married Giuseppe and given birth to a boy who then went on to murder Yara. Ooh. So they're looking legitimately for a fucking unknown person. It's so creepy. So the team and just, and a, oh, like a secret person. Secret I mean, person. like, and he's dead. So he can't person. tell you who it is. They can't like, yeah, he can't admit to it. And clearly the wife doesn't know. Right. Like, that's yeah. Okay. The wife doesn't know her. Their children don't know. It's just crazy. And it's, and it's sorry no, to interrupt, but no. and it's also like a plot point from a movie right? of I'm the I'm the illegitimate child. My father never was a correct father to me. And now yeah. I've become a serial killer. Like, doesn't it? Again. Yeah, it sounds so far fetched. But yeah, it's fucking true. The team investigated his former bus routes after um, some colleagues remember him as a womanizer. And Giuseppe had even confessed to a coworker of having gotten a woman, quote, in trouble which we know what that means. And as the investigation drags on throughout 2013, the public then becomes aware that an elderly woman is being looked for for the murder of a teenager. And uh, when they find out why, I mean, they lose their shit and the whole town is just taken over by the media. It's like a real life soap opera, people say. Yeah. Yeah. And so because of this investigation, everyone's suddenly looking at each other and other infidelities come out. And in two small villages, five illegitimate children are discovered. Oh, my God. Like separately from any of this. (laughs) (laughs) 
Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it is like a movie where it's just like, don't don't get into it. Let sleeping dogs lie. Uh-huh. And it's like, no, we have to find out. And then it's like, yeah, when you start getting into stuff like this. Yeah. It's like people can't keep secrets. Mm-mm. There's many more secrets than than people know. I mean, everyone learned that 23 and Me lesson. Yeah. When everyone's <laughs> like, it'll be fun. And then it's like, oh, my God, it, my father is not my real father. Like, oh, my God. We have all heard those stories. Yeah, definitely. So um, the investigators scour local records. There's had been some homes for unwed mothers at the time. They can't find anyone who would have been his just Giuseppe's lover. So they figure that the woman they're looking for actually probably had been married as well, which is how she hid her pregnancy. Because in the 60s and 70s, that was not okay to be pregnant unless you were married. So she probably was married, they figured. And um, divorce was only legalized in Italy in 1970. And until that time, many couples stayed together, even if there was infidelities going on. So DNA swaps from about 500 women um, that would have been the right age were uh, and could have been the birth mother were tested, including former classmates and colleagues and shopkeepers in the neighborhood. And uh, just that would have known Giuseppe, the deceased bus driver in the late 60s. And they also... That doesn't lead anywhere. They also interviewed people who knew him. But because it's this old school area in Italy, people won't fucking talk. No one's a rat, you know? I, I would say all of Italy might be an old school area. <laughs> yeah, when you, that's I mean, when you kind of look at it, it's it's the old country, really, where it's just like... Yeah, we have a way of doing things. Yeah. And that's just how it's I done. I think. Yeah, for sure. From, what, from the movies I've seen. Yeah, 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 yeah. But essentially, you know, one person talks reluctantly and um she names the woman that he had had an affair with in june of 2014 her name is esther arzufi so esther was a neighbor of giuseppe's and ponte selva in the late 60s in 1966 at 19 she had married her husband um from a nearby village but it's so sad the husband is this quiet reserve man he had been orphaned at a young age he had psoriasis and he was a depressed person so he kind of was that personality type but esther is outgoing and lively and she wears short skirts which you know is so taboo then she dyes her hair uh and she gets a job at the textile factory a few miles away and takes the bus to work every day Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Esther denies the affair and had left Ponte Selva in 1970. Um, And in the autumn of 1970, she gave birth to twin boys, a boy and a girl, supposedly fathered by her depressed husband. But Ruggieri's team immediately check the DNA samples they have on file and find Esther's DNA had been tested. They had compared Esther's DNA to Yara's DNA and not to the murderer's DNA. So they go back and test her DNA and are able to confirm that she is the mother of the unknown one, the murderer. Oh, my God. Uh-huh. Esther's son is Massimo Bossetti. His middle name is Giuseppe, like his secret father. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. He's now... Uh-huh. F- uh-huh. He's now 42 years old. He's a builder. And remember, the evidence on Yara's body was speculated to come from a builder or someone in the construction uh, field. He's married with three children. He lives in Mapello, which is a hamlet near Yara's hometown where the last signal from Yara's cell phone had been recorded the day of her disappearance. Remember, the dogs had followed oh. that scent to that town. He lives there. Yep. Yeah. So he's there's this really, you know, striking, you know, now that we know who he is, scary photo of him. He's this slim, short man. He's got these piercing, like, blue eyes like yours. And he's got this oh. peroxided goatee like pencil goatee 
And like mine. Like yours. <laughs> he loves to party. He's nicknamed the animal by his friends. If he were to be played by someone, and like, this is just the first thing that came to my mind, but like a, an older Aaron Carter is what I got. Oh, okay. You know so he's kind of like chiseled face, like he's classically good looking. Aaron Carter? Oh, Aaron Carter from the band? No, Aaron Carter, yes, from Backstreet Boys' little brother. Little brother. Oh, sorry. I thought you meant Aaron. Who am I thinking of? The guy Aaron Aaron Eckhart. Thank you, Aaron Eckhart. (laughs) (laughs) No. You remember Aaron Carter from like the early 2000s and he was like dating Ashley Simpson or whatever? I was drunk face down in a ditch somewhere. I didn't, I was there for none of that. I'm so sorry. I'll tell you this there's there's traces of meth in that face. Okay. Aaron Eck, an Italian Aaron Eckert, who couldn't look more Danish or something like, you know, Nordic. I don't know. I want you to look at okay. the photo now because you probably have someone better, but that's just the first thing I saw because he's so okay. thin. So Rogeri is like, fuck yeah, we got this murderer on June 15, 2014. The way that, that they get him is they set up a fake roadblock with breathalyzing tests in the town and her police and the police stop Massimo and they pretend that the machine, the, the breathalyzer test doesn't mach- work the first time. So they get they test him twice. So they get two good samples. They send it for overnight testing and the results show that he's an exact match for unknown one. He is the killer right. of Yara. Wow. Massimo Bassetti. So the afternoon of the confirmed match, military police go to the construction site where Massimo is working. They arrest him. And the Italian Minister of Internal Affairs announces the arrest on Twitter. But I think it's just this huge news. Massimo has no prior criminal record. He claims he's innocent. He says that the DNA is fabricated. And his wife makes a statement that her husband was home with her and her kids the night of the murder having dinner. But phone records show that Massimo's phone was present in Yara's town on the night of her disappearance and had been switched off at 545, which is a short time before she disappeared. And it wasn't turned on again until 743 the next morning. Oh, wow. Yeah. So for Ruggeri, the arrest is this, you know, huge success for her. It had been four years of investigative work and she had endured a shit ton of criticism, including sexism for alleged incompetence. And now she's celebrated for her brilliance. Massimo's trial starts in the summer of 2015, a year after his arrest. And according to prosecutors, um, they had found Internet searches on Massimo's computer for child pornography. But um, the Reddit community and bloggers say that's not true. Um, and a, after a year-long trial, Massimo is found guilty and sentenced to life in prison. And um, the fallout for this case is crazy. Esther, Esther's husband, Gianni, Esther's the mother of this illegitimate child. She, um, he, the husband gets diagnosed with cancer and finds out that none of his three children are biologically his. <gasps> oh no! Uh huh. And then Giuseppe's widow, Laura, is also shocked to find out that her late late husband fathered children while having an affair. So this like destroys families. Uh, Massimo's twin sister takes the brunt of public hate. She's literally beat up twice. Oh my god! Because her brother is a killer, which is horrendous. And um, Esther, Ma- uh, Massimo's mother, still denies that she's ever been unfaithful to her husband. She just won't. She's like, nope. Yara's. I mean, look. What? What? Once you're at that point, is she is she's probably in that position where she's like, all she can do is do denial because yeah. admitting it opens the floodgates to right worst case scenario. And yeah. Massimo's wife is s- still by his side. She's 
totally denies that he had anything to do with it as well. Um, and Yara's family, meanwhile, has remained totally private. Yara's mother created a gymnastics trophy that's named after Yara to give out to um, what would have been fellow gymnasts. Yara is buried between her two grandparents in a cemetery just across the road from her gym. And her headstone has this photograph of her. She's wearing a white bandana and she looks, you know, like a young gymnast. She's adorable. And all around the grave are mementos that are left by her friends, including gym shoes, um, rag dolls and little friendship bracelets that they all left for her. And that is the murder of 13 year old Yara Gambarasio. Unbelievable. Twists and turns. Wow. Twists and turns, but also how they they didn't the those that detective and yeah. those um that, that prosecutor did an amazing job. Yeah. So yeah, Letizia Ruggeri, she was forward thinking, she was super smart, and um yeah, it's pretty incredible that she was able to find the killer with not a lot to go on. Yeah. Amazing job. Wow, that was great. Yeah, right. Thank yeah. you. Thanks. Georgia, have you ever been blown away by the most simple dish at a restaurant, like perfectly scrambled eggs? Oh, my God. Yes, Karen. And then all I want to do is make that dish at home and eat it every day. Well, you probably could as long as you have the chef's secret ingredient made in cookware. Made in was created to bring restaurant quality performance kitchenware to home chefs around the world. For years, they've built their business by supplying restaurants and top chefs with high-end cookware. Some of Tom Colicchio's most treasured dishes at his restaurant craft are made in Maiden. Whether you're cooking for professional critics or just the critics you live with, your meals will benefit from the quality of made-in products. Like their carbon steel cookware, it combines the best of both cast iron and stainless steel clad, so it's rugged enough for grills or an open flame. It's the MVP of summer cookouts and cook-ins. What I really love about made-in cookware is that it actually makes something like having a Memorial Day barbecue much more convenient because you can keep everything on the grill if you need to throw, say, a pan of garlic up on the top while you're grilling your steaks on the bottom. It's strong enough, durable enough to do that. If you want to take your cooking to the next level, remember what so many great dishes have in common. They're all made in, made in. Save up to 25% this Memorial Day from May 18th through May 27th when you visit madeincookware.com That's M-A-D-E-I-N cookware.com Goodbye So I'm going to start mine with um, a hometown email So I'm looking on uh, my phone one night on the couch and I stumble onto basically like the crime blotter of a California newspaper I can't remember which one now but it basically was just kind of like this here's this case, this case, this case and Mm -hmm. I would just basically have a paragraph and I just started taking pictures of the paragraphs with the information in them because I was like I could get I could do murders out of these yeah just these like paragraphs one of them was about a woman in the mid 80s I think it was 1988 and her body was found in West Petaluma in a in the in a trough in a field and they ended up finding two men murdered her and they found both of them wow yeah I know it took till the mid 2000s to find um, the killers but when DNA came around they found them and they went to jail wow so there was a bunch of these little like snippet stories of these cases that I had never 
never heard of where I was like, whoa, 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 these are good. So this is from that internet search I did. But then Jay found this email from a murderino named Christina R. And she wrote in, this is a very long email. So Christina, I'm sorry, I did definitely edit you down. (laughs) This thing goes on. She's a great writer, can tell a story. But basically, we're going to get into it this way. Being born and raised in Las Vegas, there aren't a ton of hometown murders that haven't already received a fuck ton of media attention. (laughs) But my mom told me a story when I was little that has stuck with me for nearly 20 years. And it wasn't until I discovered your fucking awesome podcast that I decided to reach out to her and verify that it was real and not just some boogeyman story she made up to keep me from running around alone after dark (laughs) as a kid. It turns out every bit of it was true. And she was more than happy to give me all the grizzly grizzly details now that I'm older. In 1981, about a year before my parents were married, my dad and his best friend got new hunting rifles. They needed to get the rifles sighted before they could take them out hunting, so they decided to go to an area in the desert on the outskirts of town near Lake Mead Mm -mm. where people are allowed where people are allowed to go shooting a safe distance away from the city. My mom and her friend, my dad's buddy's wife, decided to bring along their pistols and do target practice while the guys did their manly rifle bullshit. They Sounds <laughs> the men, awesome. The men's stuff is beer. the men, I know, right? Just go shoot in the desert. <laughs> Hell yeah. Um, They all drove out together in the same car and the guys went off on their own with their rifles. My mom and her friend were then alone near a ditch and decided to set up a row of cans along the edge to shoot at. My mom's friend was setting up, but she immediately stopped and walked back over to my mom with what was described as, quote, the weirdest look on her face. All the friend said was, there's somebody down there. When my mom started to casually suggest that it might be someone else out there hiking or something, her friend grabbed her arm and said, no, you have to come and see this. When my mom went over to the ditch and looked down, she saw the body of a girl lying on her back, her legs crossed and her arms resting above her head. The creepiest part was that her dress had been pulled up over her head, covering her face and exposing her from the waist down. From where they stood, they could tell that she was a child. Naturally, my mom and her friend proceeded to freak out because this was the age before cell phones. They had to wait for their dudes to come back to show them what they found. And again, because of no cell phones, they knew that someone would have to actually drive back into town to get the police. Somehow it was decided that the friends would take the car and return to the with the police while my mom and dad had to stay next to the ditch to make sure that no one came along and disturbed the body in the meantime. It began to get dark while they waited. Uh-uh. And my mom said that be- because both of them were so scared, they kept laughing uncontrollably out of sheer nervousness. Hella romantic, right? Is it because they were on a date? They <laughs> oh were. Oh my god! Yeah, they were. It was like a hang. Oh, awful. Eventually, the cops show up and do their CSI song and dance. They told my mom's friend she may eventually be needed in court if and when the killer is caught. Mm. Flash forward six goddamn years to 1987. The case of the girl um, my mom and her friend found was still unsolved, but the girl had been identified as 12-year-old Sheila Jo Keister. It was still unsolved, though they did know that she had been raped and strangled to death. Oh, my God. Okay. So I'm going to stop there in the email. Okay. That isn't the end of the email. Wow. But I'm going to stop there and I'm going to start. Hold. Sorry, Stephen. Good. Good start. It. Intrigued horrified so now we're in uh, it's 1987 and uh 
Oh, I'll just say the sources for this. Murderpedia, the LA Times, sfgate.com, um, which I love, by the way. Oh, it's that so SFgate good. is such a good website and they have so much true crime stuff. Um, AP News, um, and all the way from Placerville, California, the Mountain Democrat. Hey. What's up, Placerville? Hey, okay. hey Mountain Democrat. <laughs> okay, so uh it's Thursday, May 14th, 1987. And 69-year-old Maybell Mabs Martin is the owner of the Showcase Finishing and Modeling School in Reno, Nevada. Oh, what a time <laughs> and a place to be alive. It's the idea in the late 80s, remember when like the Barbizon School of Modeling, like, you know, oh, yeah. all that stuff kicked up in the late 80s. Being a model became a thing that was like right within your reach. If you could just train to be a model or look like one. That was or their, just look like that one. was their tagline. Yeah. It's, oh, my it God. It became a thing. Yeah. And so Mabs Martin opened up the showcase finishing and modeling. Sure. School in Reno. Um but th- she wasn't uh, she was uh, she was a visionary she wasn't just jumping on the trend mm. uh she had been running this agency for years her client list included 1960s miss america linda lee mead mm-hmm. and the actress donna douglas who went on to play um ellie may clampett in the beverly hillbillies well shit so yeah mabs was a star maker yeah um styling and profiling so, yeah actually and Basically, she is um, on Thursday, May 14th. She's holding an audition to ma- for an anti-drug commercial. So the man that's in charge of this shoot, he's introduced, introduced himself to her as a producer. Um, he's from Georgia. His name is Mark. And he arrives to the audition dressed in a really nice suit. He's got business cards um, for his production company. He's total professional. Yeah. So Ma- Mabs loves this idea that she could be getting some of her girls into an anti-drug commercial. She's a member of Mothers Against Drunk Driving, and she's very against drugs. This was like late 80s. This was prime dare time. Uh-huh, just this was like no. when dare was invented. Yeah. Nancy Reagan. This was fucking Nancy Reagan humping that dare. Getting all up into everyone's business. That's about right. Drugs. But also, the first time I was offered pot when I was a freshman in high school, I burst into tears because of <laughs> right. my indoctrination to the dare to keep children off drugs. <laughs> insanity I mean, where I remember my friend's older sister being like, but Karen, like, but you're fine drinking. <laughs> Drinking's fine with you. But this is and I was like, it's drug. It's almost it's like it's almost like hilarious. they brainwashed us into thinking drugs yeah. were bad as a way to separate Justify. us from poor people yeah. and mass incarceration That's right. of That's right. black people. That's right. So she Mabs thinks this is a good cause, but she also thinks it's an amazing opportunity because would that could be a nationwide yeah. commercial. She could really get one of her girls in and you know, get have them break big mm. like she had with Ellie, Ellie Mae Clampett. Mm-hmm. So she brings in a selection of her best young models to audition and Mark chooses the two he wants to cast 14 year old Alicia Toma from Reno and 12-year-old Monica Burge from Sparks, Nevada. Um, so the shoot is set for two days later, that Saturday morning, and Mark and Mabs make a plan to meet in the parking lot of The Nugget, which is a casino in South Lake Tahoe. Hell yeah. Right? It's the big one you see off Highway 50. 
um, when you're coming into South Lake Tahoe. So once these plans are set, Mark leaves and Mabs calls the two young ladies to let them know that they got this video. Huge. I guess she would call it. Yeah. Um, She makes arrangements to drive the two um, girls to the shoot. And she also asks her friend, 67-year-old Dorothy Dottie Walsh, to come along for the ride. So it's an hour away from, um, they live in Reno. South Lake Tahoe's an hour drive. So she's basically like, come with us and yeah, make a day of it. So in the morning of Saturday, May 16th, Alicia and Monica arrive at Mab's home at 745 in the morning. They get into her Chrysler Fifth Avenue. They all go swim, right? You can just see all of this. And also Mab's is exactly what you think she looks like. She's she almost looks like um, a character on Falcon Crest. Yeah. Like really put together older lady with like a, 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 a outfit that'd be like a skirt with a matching jacket and then a little hat. But big old shoulder pads, a nice coral lipstick that's like overlined, Yo, yes. overlined mouth, coral lipstick. Yeah. Pearls. She's still working it. She works it on the daily. Yeah. And she has um, daytime pearls and nighttime pearls and she's wearing her daytime <laughs> yes. pearls. She's about women being beautiful. Yeah. Why not just be beautiful? It says. <laughs> Embrace. I'm putting words in her mouth. Embrace your. <laughs> Let go of the rest of it and just be beautiful. Okay. So, so they get into the Fifth Avenue. They swing by. They grab Dottie Walsh and they start their hour long drive to South Lake Tahoe. Mavs has told Alicia and Monica's parents that she expected they'd be home around 1230 the same day. Mm-hmm. So this was just go shoot this thing, come back. And almost it all takes place in the morning, not even into the afternoon. But when the afternoon rolls around and no one is back yet and they haven't heard from anybody, Uh-oh. the girls' families call the police. And unlike almost every other story we ever tell on the show, the Reno police immediately begin the search for the missing girls and women. Oh, immediately. Good. This is the turnaround of this crime is so fast, it's mind boggling. So for the next three days, the Reno and South Lake Tahoe um, authorities, they work with seven other California and Nevada law enforcement agencies to scour the South Lake Tahoe area for the four missing people. Wow. Uh, Which is like, when does that ever happen? They get... They basically call, get everyone involved, including the FBI. Like wow. FBI is in on day one. Everybody gets called immediately. Is that so because Bravo. the South Lake Tahoe's on the California side and the Reno's on the Las Vegas side? I mean the I mean Nevada sorry. Reno's on the Nevada side. So the FBI on the Nevada side. Yeah. I mean, they must, yes, because they're so close that they're probably used to working across state lines. It's not as big of a deal as in some places. But I would say that the story we usually hear is... Um, where the city where the people are missing from, they don't let people come into their jurisdiction and it gets very like territorial. And it seems like the way this story goes, South Lake Tahoe, um, PD and FBI just were like, everybody come and help us now. Wow. And that's the reason this this is a three day story. Holy shit. Okay. As opposed to. Yeah. Huge. Yeah. So bravo, South Lake Tahoe PD. Okay. Uh, and FBI, but and Reno the feds, they Everyone. they get everything. Everyone. Reno, Reno's there too. Okay, 
they start contacting other modeling agencies in the area to see if anyone has heard of this man or know anything about the man allegedly producing this quote unquote anti-drug video. And they, they get a lot of hits. A lot of these young women, they get brought in and interviewed and they remember a weird guy trying to recruit models mm-hmm. for, um, some say an anti-drug video, some say a drug rehabilitation video. Oh, no. So it sounds, don't know if the story always was consistent. A makeup artist named Gaynell Wadsworth, who worked at Reno's Aviance Profile Modeling Agency. I checked that twice because I'm like, Aviance sounds like it's a bird modeling agency. <laughs> it's, it's I was just like, let's make sure. We have the most beautiful cockatoos and look at this gorgeous parakeet. It doesn't do drugs either. Um, <laughs> so this makeup artist who worked at one of the modeling agencies told police that they had turned the man down because, quote, he was not the kind of person we want to do business with. He was very shady, shaky and sweaty. Oh, God. He smelled bad. <laughs> yeah. He smelled bad. He never looked me in the face. <gasps> She also reports that he seemed to get nervous when they mentioned that their models who are minors or underage are always required to have their parents on shoots with them. And so that like this, this her his reaction to that news yeah. made her realize that this was not somebody they needed to work with. Sure. But authorities big break comes when one of the young models who auditioned at Mab's studio says she remembers the man and he stood out to her because she found him especially weird. So she made it a point to memorize his license plate. Oh, my. One of the children. Yes, one of the young girl models who was also clearly uh, a high power murderino in where 1987. Where is she today? Please call where is us. She? <sighs> standing ovation. Oh, standing ovation. My no. God. She didn't write it down. She memorized it. So she told them it was a vanity plate. This yeah. was how it was easy to memorize. It was a vanity plate that read something like TV teen. Yeah. So when the officers take that and look it up, they're, they don't find a, a match. There's no plate like that in in um, California or Nevada mm-hmm. records. But then one of the investigators realizes that there is um, a car dealership in South Lake Tahoe um, called Tevetin. It's spelled T-V-E-T-E-N. <gasps> so it's essentially jumb- a word jumble yeah. of the same phrase. Her brain like took and- a picture of it and then a couple of the letters got mixed up. But she was fucking right. right. I am. But she was right. That is amazing. She was right. And also it was that thing where that guy's weird. I'm just going to I'm going to clock his license plate. And then she gets it. I mean, like, it's amazing. And the detect blown away. So good. The detective who also made the connection where it's like, okay, it might not be that exact thing, but it could be this. So they go down to that car dealership. And they speak to the owner who tells them he had actually loaned a dealership license plate to his friend, 28 year old Herbert Coddington. Herbert. So you pervert. Right. They also show him a sketch of Mark, the producer, based on the descriptions given by the models that they interviewed. And this guy looks at it and says, yeah, that's my friend, Herb. Oh, no. So Mark, the producer is not a real person. It's Herb Coddington. Okay, so all of that is enough to get the police an arrest warrant, and they take it and track down Herb Coddington's most recent address. So on May 18th, 1987, the police and the FBI arrive at Herb Coddington's double-wide trailer. Uh. They knock on the front door, and... 
instead of answering, all the lights go out. This oh, is God. this is the evening time. So the police pull back. They like reassess of like, that's not good. Uh-huh. Um, I think somebody ended up calling inside to try to talk to him. And then they eventually just decide they break the door down. Inside Herb Coddington is immediately and very easily taken down, okay. even though there's tons of weapons inside this um, oh, double wide. Shit. They they break down the bedroom door and they find Alicia and Monica locked inside <gasps> alive, scared to death, um, definitely traumatized, but alive oh my god then they the police and the fbi um go into the other bedroom on the other side and find the bodies of mabs and dotty wrapped in garbage bags laying on the floor they've both been murdered so the two older ladies are murdered and the two children are alive in a closet holy shit yes it's not a closet it's a bedroom that he's covered in carpeting. So essentially, he's soundproofed one of the bedrooms in his double wide. Yeah. So Herbert Coddington's immediately taken into custody and charged with kidnapping and murder. Alicia and Monica are reunited with their parents, but police bring them in to ask them what happened and, you know, basically tell their stories. So this is what the girls tell them that basically on their drive to South Lake Tahoe, it usually takes an hour, but getting into Tahoe is like uphill, really windy. Monica got car sick. Um, Mabs had to pull over for her. So they, they're a little bit late. They finally get to the nugget. Dottie waits with the girls inside the casino restaurant while Mabs looks for Mark. They they meet up in the parking lot and Mark basically says, um, we're going to go shoot in a park nearby so let's i have the wardrobe we can get the the girls um to come i have a place where they can change their clothes and we can stop there and then we'll just go to this park um Mm -hmm. and mabs notices that as opposed to how nice and professional he looked at the audition he now is wearing sweats and a t-shirt and he's exceptionally sweaty and he smells Uh. yeah yeah so they get into Mab's car, all five of them. The old, the women are in the front and Herb gets into the back seat with Alicia and Monica. Alicia makes note. He smells and is sweaty and is like, it's a bummer. He um, directs Mab's to the Tahoe Verde trailer park and to one of the double wides. He has her park in the carport. He walks them into the trailer. He points to the room where he says the girls can change um, into their shoot wardrobe. Once they're in that room, they see that it, the dressing room is actually a bedroom that's been soundproofed with plywood and carpeting. So how incredibly oh, creepy that feeling would be. That moment where your stomach drops and you're like, this is a mis- this was a mistake. Right. And this is a time like it's so easy for us to look back from. Yeah. 2020 and all the stories we know and all the stories we've all told each other and heard where it's like it's so typical but you know back then this was still in that time where the a lot of people didn't know about stuff like this so like the idea that somebody would be able to pose as a professional producer right very believably could play that part and you'd be like all along where it's like why would you ever bring those girls anywhere but to a shoot like the place i mean 
Yeah, there's what, so many whys. Easy to say now. Exactly. There's so many whys, but I, I, I don't, I totally understand why these women went along with that, why the parents went, like, it's just, it was how it was back then. It was normal. It was and, totally and how had, it was. They had trust and no clue. And yeah, it's just, you know, and it could happen today. And you just it make, could the, absolutely happen you make the wrong decision and you regret it. It doesn't mean. Yeah. And also Mabs clearly had been doing it for a while. Yeah. She knew her stuff. So, but, but the thing I think of is this in this moment, because what happens is when they're standing there looking before anyone can do anything or ask a question or say anything, Herb just punches Elisa. He cold cocks her in the face Fuck. and basically drops her. <gasps> and immediately it, it's on. Like immediately he turns and starts beating these old women. Oh. They're on the ground almost immediately. Fuck. He then zip ties. Um, he, he ties up Alicia and Monica, covers their heads with their jackets. So he basically, so they can't see what he's about to do. But Alicia can, she's only partially covered. So she sees everything. Oh no. And, Essentially, Mark ties up um, Mab's arms and legs, and then he cinches an electrical cord zip tie around her neck. And she's pleading for him, saying, it's too tight, I can't breathe. And he's basically strangling her. Um, so she soon, very soon slumps over, and then he moves on to Dottie, who's now begging for her life. And oh these girls witness all of this. God. Um, he then proceeds to strangle Dottie with the zip tie as well. Then he wraps wraps both of those women's bodies in garbage bags and puts them in the master bedroom. Then he goes back to Alicia and Monica in the guest room and asks if they're okay. Alicia tells police he keep he kept asking us if our feet and hands were okay because he said he didn't want us going home without any fingers or toes. <laughs> yeah. So he locks them in this room and he, and he goes out into the living room and they can hear he's watching MTV. And they're just sitting there waiting. He comes back a little while later with a 45 caliber handgun with a silencer on it and tells the girls that if he wanted to kill them, he could have done it already. Um, and then says, because I have this silencer. Mm. Then he gives them the weirdest dinner of all time, which is grapefruit, raisins and a jug of water. And then basically like leaves them for the night. What the um, fuck? Yeah. So the girls wake up the next morning and they can hear him grunting in in the living room. And it turns out that he's working out. Oh, thank God. Um, I mean, not thank so God, he, but Jesus. It just just horrifying. Yeah. And also here's this will just up it one more. My least favorite detail in the story. No, not least. There's so many to dislike. But he's cut out two eye holes in the door so that he doesn't have to open the door all the way. He can just look in at them. Oh, my God. Uh, it's horrifying. So he basically lets them out into the living room. And now he's got a beanie on and a turtleneck pulled up to hide his face. And he his a little bit of his hair is sticking out and it's been dyed orange. So it, clearly they think he's trying to change his appearance. Right. And he, he plays a Jane Fonda workout video and then they all work out to it. Um, what? So then he. Yeah, he. Then puts the girls back into the carpeted room and puts pillowcases over their heads. Um, and this is a trigger warning for anyone. This is a very disturbing part of this story. The girls ask him if he's going to rape them. And he says, no, he's actually, they're just going to do a video shoot with a boy their age. 
Um, then he goes out to the living room and begins talking in two different voices, oh, a God. deep voice like he's the director and then a high voice like he's the boy and the girls can't see because there's a pillowcase on their heads and then he comes back into the room pretending to be the boy Karen this is the most terrifying story I've ever heard in my life isn't it horrible it's like I was thinking in the beginning it was like Silence of the Lambs when she goes in and holds yes but it's worse it's fucking worse yeah it's horrible. Okay, sorry, keep going. Well, essentially, he goes back in, pretends to be the boy, and rapes both girls. So, okay. So, that's that's these two girls who are so unbelievably brave and, like, lived through this horrible thing, basically went in and just gave the police the beat by beat of mm. how insane and crazy this whole attack and these murders were. So... When the police interrogate Herb Coddington, he almost immediately admits to killing Dottie and Mabs. And he they say that he was when they burst in the door of his double wide, he immediately started screaming, um, don't take me to jail. I'm sick. But when he when they drove him to the police station, he he was completely normal. And if. If anything, he they said he seemed excited to be getting the attention and to be he talked a ton and was telling them a bunch of stuff um, and was completely lucid and normal. So he's arraigned on May 20th, 1987. So I just think that timeline is insane because they broke into the double wide on May 18th. It was like the day after it was two days after the day they were kidnapped. So they found them in 48 hours. I mean, that's interesting because who knows what, I mean, not who knows what would have happened if they hadn't found them. This guy's a murderer. He's a killer and he's a child rapist. Yes. The fact that they found them so quickly probably saved their lives. These two girls' lives. Absolutely. There's no, there's no doubt about that. Yeah. um, For sure. And. So he's arraigned on May 20th, 1987, on two counts of murder and four counts of kidnapping, rape and sexual abuse. He pleads not guilty. Okay, so but now he's in custody. So police run a background check on him and they find out that um, in 1984, he'd been arrested in Las Vegas where he was a dealer. Um, He was he got caught for a cheating scam. Um, He'd been released on five hundred dollars bail and that case was still pending. But then the, the police noticed that's like oh he he used to live down in las vegas so they call up the las vegas police and say you might uh, i don't know if you know this guy but he we just caught him on like murder Mm -hmm. and child rape and you i don't know if there's anything you need to compare that to and the las vegas police were like can you take a cast of his teeth and because he had not only a snaggle teeth in the front but a gap and that was a bite mark that had been left on the body of a cold case victim, 12-year-old Sheila Joe Keister, which is the body from the email that someone sent in. Holy yes. fuck. And they and we know that de- that dental um dental impressions impressions aren't a hundred percent. They're not DNA evidence. They're not whatever. Yeah. But apparently, his teeth were so signi- so right. distinctive that um, that it was they could they matched it to a bite on this little girl's body from this cold case. It feels like such so, good circumstantial evidence on top of a bunch of other circumstantial evidence that I don't see. Right. It, I don't know. It, it yeah. just adds to it. Right. Yeah, right. It adds to it. Um, 
so that dental match, along with a 1981 police sketch that an ex-girlfriend confirmed to police matched Herb Coddington's appearance at the time that he lived in Las Vegas, gets him an additional charge for the murder of Sheila Jo Keister um, added to added to the docket mm. for him. So his trial, they end up moving it from South Lake Tahoe to Placerville, California, uh, because details of his crimes are so widely known in Tahoe, in the Tahoe area. Um, and they wanted to put together a jury that was untainted by the media and untainted by local rumors. What's funny to me is Placerville is not that far away from this area. Yeah. So although it was kind of like a, it, the idea of it is fair, um, I don't think they were trying too hard <laughs> right. to make things. They did like a, si- a sidestep, but not like. Yeah. Too right, hard. exactly. Right. I can't I can't imagine the people in Placerville didn't know about sure. this, but who knows? Yeah. The defense for Herb Coddington goes with the insanity plea. And Herb actually tells the jury he's been having he explains he's crazy because he'd been having fantasies about young about basically being with young girls and that he thought God was giving him signs through traffic lights. So like if he had had one of those thoughts while he was driving and he got to a red light, that was God telling him not to act on the thought. But then if he had the thought and came to a green light, that was God telling him to go for it. Um, And he alleges that when he thought about kidnapping the two girls, he was driving and he encountered a series of green lights. Um, no, just doesn't sound like it. Anyway, the prosecution gets up and explains to the jury that Herb was lucid and stable when the police arrested and interrogated him and basically walked the jury through all of his very careful and extensively planned crimes, as well as his attempts to conceal his identity. And the jury has been watching him this whole time and notes that he shows no signs of remorse or anything like like a person who snapped and lost it and went insane and killed two ladies mm-hmm. would at least if if that were the case it would be like they'd be horrified or something sure. He's, there's no remorse and he is just just basking in the attention he's getting in the courtroom wow. so they you know he's he kind of it's the thing with like he's the worst part of his own defense yeah. is him. The planning that um, it took, like making business cards and calling up multiple like modeling agencies to try. Oh, yeah. Like that's so premeditated. And there's there's so many chances to back out of that plan that, yeah, that's not a good defense. No, no, it's it It takes very clear thinking yeah. to make a plan and to trick all these people and sure. to do, you know, to I mean, clearly. Yeah. So. On January 20th, 1989, Herb Coddington is found guilty on all charges. Now, the entire time, both of his parents have been at the court in the courtroom every single day of his trial. And during the sentencing, they know that he's going to get the death penalty, probably. And so they do their best. They write letters trying to keep him from being sentenced to death. Uh, So this is a quote from the Placerville Mountain Democrat, which is there, the Placerville newspaper about Herb's mother writing a letter pleading for to give him a life sentence. Genevieve Coddington wrote, quote, if Herb is allowed to live, he could perhaps help other inmates to learn to read or write. I do not feel Herb has finished doing what God has intended him to do. So Judge Finney, who was the presiding judge over the case in open court, noted that the letter and others from parents caused him, quote, great emotional turmoil. And he said he found them to be, quote, wonderful, fun 
fine, decent people who truly believed their son was mentally ill. But Finney saw things differently, calling Herb Coddington, quote, tremendously egocentric and totally self-centered and noted that he had rejected his parents' religion. And when the suspected killer originally talked with law enforcement regarding the case, Finney added from the bench during sentencing, there was no mention of God or any mental aberration. That wasn't until later as an attempt to avoid the death sentence. He then told the court that what Herb Coddington had done in the case before the bench was, quote, probably the most evil that I have ever been involved in. Wow. Herb Coddington was sentenced to death and put on death row in San Quentin, and he remains there to this day. And that is the story of the murder of Sheila Joe Keister, Mabs Martin, and Dottie Walsh. Wow. That was amazing, Karen. Great job. Crazy. Yeah. Crazy, right? Yes. How? I've never heard. Never. I've never heard of anything close to it. Never. But that reminds yeah. me so much of like, I feel like th- those were our fears in the 80s. If there were like people like that that existed. And we yes. were just kind of finding that out, you know? Well, and I, I think it's like that was the thing you heard about happening in L.A. Right. Or a big city. Yeah. But like, so I'm sure that was the other part of it being in Reno, yeah. the biggest little city in the world. It's not a huge it's not a metropolitan. Mm-mm. I mean, it's the biggest city in that area. Mm-hmm. But I don't think anyone would have had been able to anticipate any of no, any of that. Absolutely not. Oh, how horrifying. Especially. Once again, under the guise, this is the old trick. I'm here to do right. Yeah. I'm here flying the flag of no drugs allowed. Right. Everyone get on board. So, you know. And Mavs was also like, Mavs was like, but I'm also going to bring my friend for safety. Like, you know what I mean? Like that was her, that was her safety. And the parents probably heard that, that they're going with this responsible business owning woman who, you know, would hope, they would hope have checked this person's background and everything and they're bringing a friend. It's all safe. Everything's fine. It's going to be a couple hours, you know. Yeah. How would it's you only know? good news when you're on that. That's people using um, like kind of uh, moralistic stances or show business. It's so easy to trick people with show business yeah. promises because everyone deep down is like, what if I got discovered? Totally. Like, I think that gives. It people take it's so easy to exploit that um that excitement and that mindset yeah 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 god damn it should we do fucking hoorays okay you want to go you want me to go first you want to go first sure yeah go for it okay this one's from the fan cult forum and i swear to god this could be written by me in two weeks this one is from hiking historian It says, the title is Fuck You, Self-Doubt. For years, I have struggled with self-doubt and self-criticism. Hi. I have never been very kind to myself. However, this COVID quarantine mixed with a mega dose of therapy has helped me to... to start to break the cycle. I took a risk and bought a nice bike and have begun distance cycling and I love it. My farthest ride so far is 18 miles. I'm also working on construction projects around my house while I'm forced to stay here. I always believed I wasn't capable of doing handy things, but I've replaced a sink and have painted multiple rooms. I've had to face my self-doubt by trying new things and being willing to look like an idiot or a fail, but I'm so damn proud of myself and what I've accomplished. Fucking hooray. Nice. That's great. I want that to be me in two weeks. That's amazing. Well, then that reminds me of this one. This is really good. Um, it's from Chase. 
and it's C-H-A-Y-S-E. And Chase says, I've been off work for two weeks now and I hate lying around. So after a day or two, I decided to take up a new hobby I've been wanting to learn how to do for almost five years. I learned how to sew. I bought a sewing machine and fabric and started to sew masks and headbands to donate to local hospitals and nursing homes. It's been nice to have something to do while sitting at home and be able to do my part in continuing this crazy in containing this crazy virus. Everyone stay home and stay safe. That is amazing. Love that. Um, yeah. Actually, on our Instagram account, we, I posted a couple um, a couple photos of some people, uh, some murderino makers who are post who are sorry. I posted some photos of and links of some murderino makers who've tagged us who are making masks and then i had everyone in the comments um post what they're doing mask wise or otherwise and where people can help them out with with um fabric or with money or with you know they can team up i don't know so that's on our instagram too which is just so awesome that Great. so many people are doing that okay so many makers so making. many so this one is by totes booked on the fan cult forum my fucking hooray is that i'm alive i was listening to episode 216 of mfm while taking a shower a few days ago when i lost consciousness and hit my head pretty badly on my old school cask iron tub i never thought a podcast would help save my life but listening to you guys talk helped me focus when i regained consciousness and gave me a pretty good timestamp of how long i was out for the last thing I remember before I fell was you guys talking about Netflix and Tiger King and woke up and woke up to talk about dead flowers in a bathroom. <laughs> they don't know why I fainted, but I'm still alive and it's kind of a miracle. I managed to only get a six inch gash and 12 stitches to the back of my skull, but it could have been so much worse. Stay sexy yes. and don't let your bathtub murder you, Kristen. God, Kristen. Kristen, we're glad I'm you're so okay. Glad. And also, she had to go get stitches yeah. at a time like this. Totally. Even worse. Yeah. Terrible. Terrible. Um, oh, good. I'm glad that turned out good. Okay. So this is from, uh, I don't, uh, it's all one thing because it's from the fan call. Yeah. Dana Nakasi. They say, wanted to share my fucking hooray. I subscribe to a YouTube channel, Bum Gardener Restoration, which is usually some chill guy restoring beautiful pieces of art while narrating in a very calm voice. And in parentheses, really useful these days. Mm. I So useful, Dana, that I'm writing that down because that sounds like a dream. Um, okay, so back to this. Uh, last week, he found out a company in China that he usually purchases supplies from had turned all of its manufacturing towards making N95 masks. He decided to purchase a bunch of masks to donate to local healthcare workers and share to GoFundMe with his subscribers in case anyone wanted to help him buy more. His initial goal was $6,000. I donated when it had just surpassed 8000 and the day ended at $28,000. Oh, my God. In three yeah. In three days, people had donated over $62,000. Ooh, that just gave me chills. <sighs> All the masks will be donated to hashtag get PPE chai, a grassroots organization of medical workers in Chicago working to distribute donated protective equipment to the healthcare workers on the front lines that need them. I know this is just a drop in the face of the sea of issues these days, but it was really lovely seeing such an overwhelming outpouring of support. Hope everyone is safe and sane. I love that. That's beautiful. I love everything about that message. I love it. So uh, this one's from Instagram. Uh, it's by Grace Bouchard. My fucking hooray is the group of badass teachers I work with. 
I am a special ed teacher at an elementary school, and I am proud to say that I work with caring teachers who are less concerned about students completing math problems and more worried about our kids' emotional well-being, quality of their home lives, and those who own, whose only meal is the hot lunch they get for free at school. Within a few days, systems were set up to reach out to our students and their families virtually, deliver food via school bus drivers, and even set up free hotspots in homes so students could have internet access. Our jobs now are so much more than distance learning and posting assignments online. Yes, we come to school to teach, but we also come for our students who need that morning hug or even just eye contact. And we have started to find a way to connect while still social distancing. Yeah, that's lovely. Thank you, teachers, for everything you're doing. Thank you, teachers. I feel like if there was ever a, a thing that was going to help people understand how cutting education funding in this country has devastated all of us, this is the kind of thing where it's just like what people are doing every day in their homes with their kids now, they're realizing that they've made it so teachers can barely make a living and they do that every day with their kids. Ugh. And there's nothing better. It's just the best firsthand thing of like, don't you think these people deserve to make more money than than so little money that they have to get second jobs, which is what my sister's had to do for the majority of her career. Yes. Well, this this one's just simple, but I like it. It's from Jill H. My fucking hooray today was my husband and I randomly pulling into our neighbor's yard, blasting hollow notes and having a random physical distancing dance party for two minutes. And then we left. The smiles were well worth it. Keep dancing. I love it. I love it. I love I, it. There's a video I retweeted on my Twitter of a lady who is from her front porch with a megaphone yelling to her friend standing in the street going, when this is all over, I want to have a drink with everybody and hug people and touch people <laughs> and have the best life ever. Aww. And it's the, it's the sweetest. And it's like, it's so true. I yeah. feel like. As awful as all this is, it's giving people a true sense of like what's important, what has been ripped out of your hands uh, in quote unquote normal life that you don't that you want back so bad. Yeah. And it's not meetings and it's not, you know, mm -hmm. the rat race. It's like looking at people in the face and being able to talk to them. Definitely. I miss hugging my friends so much and hugging random murderinos we meet. The last time I met someone who listens to the podcast and told me was at a, a makeup store that she was working at and I couldn't hug her because it was the beginning of the pandemic and it felt so wrong. It was just like, I'm not supposed to just say hi to you and walk away. I want to hug you and like have a connection <laughs> and it just, you couldn't do it. I miss those connections. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, yeah. Is that it? Um, send us your send us your fucking hoorays on Instagram or Twitter or email or fan calls or whatever the fuck. You feel like also it's really nice that people that are sending in the de you know detail ones about about getting through because we just want to repeat it so that other people can hear your stories of how you're making it work totally because it's legitimately helping people it helps me when I see people on social media talking about what they're doing what they're watching how they're talking to people yeah um I think I already talked well I maybe talked to the minisode but my friends and I uh that normally have like an in-person, obviously game night. Got, we all got on that app house party and had a game night on house party. And it was so hilarious. And when I hung up, like I felt high from it. Yeah. It was like, this, like, Oh, and it's like, Oh yeah, because I haven't talked to anyone for days. I mean, it really matters and it really helps you. So definitely any how, little thing. Yeah. How you're getting through and what your, what your extenuating circumstances are and 
We want to hear it. Yep. And, uh, but mostly stay sexy. And don't get murdered. Goodbye. Goodbye. Elvis, do you want a cookie?